The Dragon Rewrite is brought to you by the Armadillo Podcasting Club. Did you know that armadillos don't breathe with lungs like we do? They transpire oxygen through their skin, which makes them supremely adapted to both space travel and deep sea exploration. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> For more armadillo-related facts and to unlock bonus content, check us out at patreon.com slash club. Wheel of Time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become podcasts. Hello there, welcome to The Dragon Reread. We're rereading Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series of fantasy novels. I am Jeff Lake. I'm Alice Sullivan. And I'm Micah Sparkman. And today we're going to cover chapters 5 through 6, two chapters of Lord of Chaos, book 6 of The Wheel of Time. Last time. Davram Bashir tries to kill Rand, but not really. Uh, Rand recruits the false dragon Majram Tame and immediately puts him to work in the wizard mines, mining more wizard for Rand's wizard army. Mm -hmm. uh, then he just pops over to his other army, 800 miles away to the south, for a quick visit with his favorite Pokemon and deals with some dragon deserters. Uh, he rounds the visits out with a joke off of some Aiel because, you know... <laughs> dragon humor and Aiel humor, but the Aiel definitely win because Aiel jokes are funnier than dragon jokes. That's not how I remember it going. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the, the, the records show that Rand's joke was unintelligible because no one knew what happened with the water, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, chapter five, a different dance. Icon of the dice. So it's Matt. Matt shows up in the book for the first time. Man, I feel like Robert Jordan is off to a strong start here. Like, he's finally figured out what people want. He's like, have a Matt chapter. And we're like, yeah, we want a Matt chapter. <laughs> it's what the people crave. Yeah. So Matt's hanging out at the second best inn in Marone, which is a, a city on the border of Kyrian and Andor. And apparently Matt's just, like, hanging around out with his shirt untucked and open. I feel like he does that a lot. Like, he's like the guy at the party who always finds an excuse to take his shirt off. Mm -hmm. Every time we hear Matt described, he's like, oh, and his shirt's untucked and unbuttoned. It's like, what? He has, like, he's no sense of self-respect. <laughs> well, it's, it's hot. It's really hot. He, and he's hot. Really hot. <laughs> <laughs> and he knows it. Yeah. So this is the end where he's staying with all the lordlings of the Band of the Red Hand, which is Matt's super sweet badass army that he rolls around with now. Again, way better than the Golden Honeybees or whatever that other team name was. The Golden Bees. Eh. Bumblebees. ran into a Golden Bee, you would not soon forget it, sir. <laughs> I think it was, like, uh, you know, shiny, but I don't think I'd find it very threatening. <laughs> I've dealt with lots of bees. So I, I like these, these little lordlings that he picked up, which Matt used to kind of hate, but now they all follow him around and they've all been battle-hardened and made into kind of cool people, mostly. Yeah, these are mostly characters that we've been seeing throughout. Like, there's uh, a couple of the Terran Lords who used to be all kind of soft and scummy. Yeah. And now they're soldiers and commanders. Yeah, Talmanes and Edorian and Estian who are all there. And yeah, now they're... Jordan makes a point of mentioning that their armor is still gilded and stuff, but now it's all chipped and hard-used. And they don't have any stupid ideas anymore. I also think it's kind of funny. There's a scene here where they're trying to figure out how to game his luck. They're like, <laughs> they're like, how do we beat this guy? Well, what if what if we gamble on something that he doesn't have a hand in? It's like, like horse races. And he's like, I, I think we've had this exact conversation. <laughs> I think did. we have too, yeah. <laughs> like, they're just coming around to it. And it's funny because Matt's like, well, yeah, that might actually work. Except I'm really good at picking horses because, you know, my, yeah. my history with horses. Yeah, back in Emmons Field, he, that was his thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, his father so, was a horse trader. Yeah. So he'd probably still win, just not through his magic luck. That's interesting, though, that they figured out that things that are pure chance, like dice, are the areas where he is the most lucky. I guess if you spend enough yeah. time hanging around with Matt, you probably watch him gamble a lot and see how see what works and what yeah, doesn't. None of these guys are mathematicians, but I think they're they're coming around to the, these statistical concepts of randomness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, and Matt, I guess, is just like he's trying to teach these musicians in the inn music from two thousand years ago, and he's like, they're doing all right, I guess, but they keep missing stuff. You know? Yeah, I, I gotta imagine he's a bad teacher of music. I don't think. Yeah, like this is not a. He says he's like humming it and stomping on the ground for the beat. It's like, can you can you imagine trying to learn how to do like you know if you play if you play an instrument? This is this is not an easy way to learn it. Yeah, definitely not. But speaking of his ancient knowledge, he uses it to hit on a waitress. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, on, on actually, a fairly awesome dance scene. <laughs> yeah, this is pretty great. I mean, he's uh, he set his sights on this this uh, waitress, who I guess is 
uh, maybe a little bit of a live one, you know? <laughs> <laughs> she gives him a run for his money, and he, so he's like, all right, plan B, dancing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I guess he learned, he's teaching her the cha-cha slide, from what I can tell. Because, <laughs> you know, like, the ladies love the cha-cha I, I slide. I thought it was the time warp. Oh, that would make sense, too, because, you know. Are we sure it's not the Fortnite dance? Mm, Which one? Is that dabbing? What is it called? Is that it dabbing? A, no, it's not dabbing. There's a the, name the for floss? the floss. The floss, yeah. <laughs> it's the floss. There you no, go. no, then, then your right arm goes behind you, then your left arm goes. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably some combination of all three. <laughs> Are we sure that this girl, though, Betsy, is not a dark friend? No. No. I, I would yes. assume everyone is a dark friend. Wait, you got dark friend vibes from her? I did. I just it's, sort of got, I don't know, I don't know, man-eater's not the right word, but like... Kind of. like so, A lot sharper than she lets on. Exactly, yeah. Somebody who who's like totally... Uh, on on to Matt from the beginning and knows what he's about and intends to get her, you know, gold. Her gold, yeah. She kind of reminded me of Melindra, the the Oh really? Yeah, the bad Aiel he used to hang out with. Uh, until it turned out she was how, evil. I how mean, come? Uh she teases him. Um there's a lot of, let's see, shrewd little smiles like she's flirting with him, like she knows way more than him and Mm. Yeah, just the way she's talking to him, he, she kind of teases him, but trying to get more information out of him. Like, are you really a lord or not? Like, where do you get this medallion? Where do you get that? Is it valuable? She's asking a lot of questions. That is a good point. She's essentially interrogating him, although yeah. he yeah. doesn't seem to pick up on it. So my read is that she works at a fancy inn at a crossroads. And so she sees a lot of lordlings come through and she's really good at uh, separating them from their money. Right? She kind of leads him on, gives him just enough to keep pursuing her. So like a whore, but she doesn't have sex with them? Uh, yeah, right? You could say like an escort. <laughs> I, would, I actually would just say somebody who's making a living for herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, giving the situation that she's in, right? Yeah. I'm not convinced she's not a dark friend, though. Wow, dark friend. That's harsh. Okay. I, I, yeah, I, maybe. I, I didn't right. read dark friend. I just read someone who was just really, you know, good at uh, playing Matt, essentially. But it doesn't seem that hard. But honestly, like I, I'd say it's a fair assumption that anyone is a dark friend, including Matt himself. Matt, no, Matt's not a dark. You friend. You don't know that he, he could be a dark inside friend inside his head for like four books. <laughs> Look, Jordan is really good at writing characters who don't think about certain things that you don't. He doesn't want you to know. <laughs> he said one of these days, be like, "Oh, that reminds me of the time back in Emmons Field when I pledged my soul to the Great War." <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I love how there's a song called A Frog on the Ice, which one of the lords sings to make fun of Matt, because apparently Matt is skidding about with his feet in the air with (laughs) Betsy. Right, yeah, because she's sort of playing him, I think. Mm -hmm. I really like this dance scene where he's he's teaching her the dance of, you know, 2,000 years ago to go with the music. And he sort of loses himself in the memory of when he was dancing this dance before, when he was like a minor lordling dancing with the high up noble from the sea folk. I love it. Yeah, actually, th- th- these these snapshots from Matt's memory are are really interesting to me too. I thought that yeah, was great. Yeah, it's, it's such a it's so cinematic, right? It's kind of like a, that the dance scene in Beauty and the Beast, right? Except it, with more, you know, Trollocs, I guess. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting that that hasn't changed because so much has changed um, since the last time from these memories. But the the sea folk are still there. They're still, then they still have wave mistresses. So that's that's mm-hmm. an old culture. That's a good point. I actually thought about that uh, when I was reading it. That's it's a it's a great point because the sea folk have isolated themselves by design, mm-hmm. and I, I wonder if their culture has been preserved in a lot more thoroughly than any other because they haven't blended and they've they've kind of been more insular in their lives. That would explain the Aiel as well. That's a great. Th- point. That's yeah. a good point. <laughs> We both make such good points. We're so smart. Yeah, we really We're are. Really clever. <laughs> For more good points, check out our Patreon. <laughs> That's right. So he does make a point to ask her if she's the daughter of the nine moons, because he's still really, really worried about this commitment prophecy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's got other. He's got bigger things to worry about at this point. I think he should just like let go of this daughter of the nine moons thing. Yeah. Like. Oh, End of the world, supreme evil, going to have to battle all these men I'm responsible for. Nah, marriage. Yeah, marriage. That's the number one problem. Mm -hmm. I love that he's, like, reflecting on his, after this thought about the Daughter of the Nine Moons, he's reflecting on this, like, stumbling through portals thing and how he's smarter now. But you know what? (laughs) (laughs) I bet you, I bet you anything, the next time he finds a weird portal to another dimension, he's walking through that shit. Yeah, I'm going to go give them a piece of my mind. (laughs) It's like, he's like, I probably wouldn't do that again. I was like, I'll believe that shit when I see it, Matt. We've heard this from you before. 
But hasn't he, isn't he responsible for entirely destroying one of the realities, though? Yeah, as far as we know. Well, yeah. I mean, we don't. It, it wasn't doing great when he left. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, maybe, maybe they're both destroyed because that portal melted too. So there's the one that he went to and, and shook it apart, and then the other one got melted. So it's probably just the portal, right? He didn't, he didn't melt I mean, all I the fox know. people. Right? We don't. We don't know that. <laughs> then Matt heads out on his rounds to check on his army that he's got. He gets cock-blocked. You know, he's like, they're doing pretty great. Like, he's he's like, probably, you know, he might seal the deal here, but no. Then along comes duty. Mm -hmm. Poor Matt. Well, chicks love duty. (laughs) They do. He's like, that's a man who gets stuff done. Mm -hmm. Stupid, leading a stupid army. I really like Robert Jordan's description of this town, which is sort of stuff with refugees and soldiers, but it's still, you can still see the, the town that was there before and... And what it's, what it's like to be in this big chaotic place and all the different people. I thought that was really compelling. Yeah, no, I, I agree. He, he describes these scenes where there's these soldiers interspersed. And I guess this is a, a good-sized town for trading purposes. It, it wasn't maybe... Yeah. didn't have a, a high uh, local population. Maybe it had like a large transient population because of a trade center. Mm-hmm. So I guess that makes it uniquely suited for... <laughs> A wandering army yeah. has all these ends. But. Yeah, I, I wonder where Robert Jordan got these this sense of place. Yeah, Matt makes a point of saying he's still not a hero, despite all the things he's done. Still I not mean, a hero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, la- later in this chapter, he's, he does one of those Matt things that's co- coming to become my favorite thing, where there's a ruckus, and he charges towards it to see what's up, while thinking, I'm no bloody hero. <laughs> But, but there's some people ex- who need saving. Exactly what he was thinking when he led that cavalry charge in the last book. <laughs> and then fought and then fought uh and then, yeah, fought the, the leader and, of the Shadow Ayel in hand-to-hand combat. Right, yeah. It's like, but I'm not doing any hero stuff. <laughs> I love it. That's yeah, great. So Matt, it turns out is good at administration too. Mm-hmm. Not just tactics and strategy. Which makes perfect sense. I mean, if you're a general, this is something that you have to know how to do, and he's been uh, you know hundreds of generals or something, right? It surprised me a bit. I thought maybe it was all the all the stuff that 12-year-old me would have thought was awesome, you know, tactics and strategy and, and pincer movements and whatever. But uh, running an army is, is just as much about feeding them as it is about commanding them, right? Yeah. I'm still just so jealous that he has all this knowledge. Wouldn't that be amazing if you could just get that uploaded in you? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Like you just you plug a wire in the back of your brain and all of a sudden you know how to do kung fu. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. If you were going to pick a field... To have all the info downloaded to your brain, what would you pick? Polyglot. Me too. Oh, Learn every language. Mm-hmm. That'd be pretty useful. What about you? Oh, probably politics. Hmm. For mm-hmm. me, it'd be a dinosaur. A dinosaur? Yeah, I'd want to be the, the knowledge of how to be a dinosaur downloaded to my brain. All right. That seems like the <laughs> easiest one. <laughs> I mean, how to turn into a dinosaur would be Don't fun. you have to have a second brain in your butt? Wait, do you not? <laughs> I do? Does yeah, that that's... mean you're a smartass? <laughs> <laughs> uh, better a smart ass than a dumbass. <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. Uh, Matt also has has said that he's not he he now realizes that his luck is big cheats and he's not going to gamble with poor people anymore. Yeah, which right. is something I was very happy to read. That's of. pretty solid. It's like good, Matt. I'm glad you're like at least self aware about this it, bullshit. It does put him in a bind though because the rich people in town all work for him and they won't gamble with him anymore. <laughs> That's a good point. So he can't gamble with anybody, except he can gamble with lives. That's right. That's what he does. Yeah, the, the ultimate gamble. <laughs> yeah. Throwing the dice. I like this bit where a platoon of soldiers walks by singing this song, their soldiering song, and Matt, and it's an awful song about how bad it is to be a soldier. And Matt's <laughs> like, I don't get it. Every time people hear that song, they, they run and join up. <laughs> That's right. And then he's like, the worse the song is, and this is not the worst song, the more people join up. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. What do you think that is? You think that would be true in... I, I totally understand it. Yes, absolutely. Like they're, I, I remember hearing from several Marines that their favorite movie is Full Metal Jacket. Which is a which they, they actually yeah. show them that movie in boot camp. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that, that portrays it as a miserable, miserable experience that one person kills himself to get out of, right? Yeah. But pe- some people are looking for that. They're looking for that kind of hardship which gives you a purpose. And... It's a cool attitude, right? These guys walking along singing about how bad it is to be a soldier. They're cool because they, they have this bad attitude. They have this attitude about the, the hardships that they've been through. And you want to be as badass as these guys. You want to be world-weary. You want to be cynical mm-hmm. when you're young. Uh, 
yeah. think if they sung a song about getting back rubs and <clears throat> getting to eat cheeseburgers every day, that, that'd be the one that would bring me in. <laughs> back rubs and cheeseburgers. Yes. Yeah. It's a good song. Good lyrics. Yeah. Robert Jordan is good at putting those together. Yeah, for sure. Agreed. And that's one thing he does so much better than Tolkien. Yeah, Tolkien's songs are very long. Yeah, not just long, but I thought, I don't know. I thought these this was cooler. So as he's checking on his soldiers, he reflects that Rand came to him last night, teleported in, and gave him a crazy pep talk. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> Which was so confusing because he was responding to Matt, but not really. Like he was removed. It was very odd. He was just ranting. I, yeah. I, I think he's distracted. You know, I think he's got a lot going on. And maybe he's going a little... Yeah, but I was almost wondering if he was projecting, like, if he wasn't actually there, it was like a recording that he had made that he was oh, projecting. Right. That's possible. I don't know if, does he, I wonder if he knows how to do that. I he mean, probably could figure out how to do that. Yeah. Uh, I just think it's interesting seeing that uh, Matt's reactions to Rand, uh, how different they are. I, I think it would have been maybe even last book that if Rand teleported into the room and gave him a thing, he'd be like, I'm not going to talk to this yeah, guy. Yeah, first horse out of town. Yeah. <laughs> But he's, he's, I guess he's evolved, he's grown, or maybe these memories have made him a different kind of person. But yeah. Yeah, I maintain that I think Ren's just trying to do too many things at once. Or, I mean, maybe he doesn't have a choice. He's just, he's he's juggling multiple campaigns. He's trying to, you know, keep track of all these, these. I think, I think he, this is a moment where he's just sort of letting, letting it go. Yeah, This right. is what's going on. It's that's, that's good that he's got a friend he can do that with. Well, yeah. that's the thing. I found it a little heartbreaking because Matt isn't a friend anymore. And it was mm. really, it was sad, actually, for to see the scene because there was no, it didn't show any sort of friendship or affection at all. true. There was no back and forth. Mm-mm. Yeah. Made yeah. me feel sad for Rand. I think Rand would agree with you. I think he's he's said that he doesn't have time for anything other than his job anymore. You know, he's, he's just like, I don't have time for friends. I have to use everything I can. Well, his job in women, apparently. Well, because right. that's I, that, part of it too. He's like, "How do you know you're in love with a woman?" That's and right. that's like, "How the that. fuck do I know?" And then Rand's like, "Let's talk about Samael." Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a conversation that kind of went all over the place, wasn't it? A little it? abrupt, yeah. Yeah. So Matt notices there's a lot of hunters of the horn around in this town, which I totally forgot about them. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, that horn situation was resolved for us readers. Two books ago, right? Yeah. We know right. where the horn is. Yeah, that blew it, and then he gave it to the Aes Sedai. Yeah, so it's sitting in the White Tower, and uh, all these horn hunters, I mean, nobody knows that, so they're just doing their thing. But yeah, I totally forgot about these guys. I guess this is an indication that the horn is going to play a part in the story again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are talking about it a bit, so yeah, Robert Jordan's reminding us, hey, remember that horn thing? Yeah, which was, what, three books ago? The Great Horn. Four. The Great Hunt, right? Yeah. That was book two. We're on book six. And hasn't really been mentioned since then, so. Yeah, right. I'm predicting that it'll become a thing again. Probably. Yeah, this is the, was it Chekhov's gun? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And then Matt settles a dispute over a horse with his spear. <laughs> this, is, this is a pretty great scene, too. Uh, I mean, Matt may be a great general, but he is not above pulling a man in the pills in the situation <laughs> calls for it. <laughs> The guy's like, I'm going to kill this, or I'm going to wring this boy's neck. He's like, no, you're not. Bam, right in the nuts. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Just and one of the many things I appreciate I about like that. He, made, he jumped the gun a little bit, you know? The guy was overreacting, but he didn't know what the kid had done yet. Which the kid was messing with his horse. That's all the kid had done. Yeah. But the kid might have, you know, stole his kidney or something. I don't know. <laughs> that leads to Matt uh, rescuing this orphan, Oliver. Oliver? Yeah. No, Olver. Olver-twast. <laughs> right. It's Olver-twast. <laughs> He's like, hey, governor, how you doing? That's what the kid sounds like. <laughs> In this chapter, there's a nice bit where Matt thinks about how when they showed up this town, it was the, the white lions who worked for Gabriel were there, but... And, and then he immediately thinks, oh, yeah, I think they're off in the West or something now, you know? Just some light skirmishing. Like, he captured this town from another army, and it's not even an important thing to him, you know? They, they were just, like, in the way. He, he doesn't care about them, right? Yeah, it's like, I rode a horse, and then I drove the enemy out of the town, and now I stay at this inn, and I'm hitting on this girl. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing being inside Matt's head right now. Mm-hmm. So Matt then parties till way late, dances all night, and then orders his guys all to get up early and march out. <laughs> and they're like, but that, that means none of us will get any sleep. And Matt says... I will. <laughs> <laughs> Wake me up in two hours. <laughs> yeah, this is... 
I, I guess Matt's a decoy of some sort. We don't really know for sure what this plan is, except that... So Rain tells him to hurry slowly, which is to make, I guess... Yeah, make look. a big deal about the fact that you're going here, but don't actually go here. Is that the yeah, idea? Yeah, to look yes. to look like he's rushing, like this is the main attack. Right, but not actually attack. Right, yet. so he's trying to sneak out at the last minute to, in case there are any spies around, but he's doing it. He has everybody sing songs and blow trumpets and stuff at two a.m. so that everybody would know that they're sneaking out. Yeah, we still don't really know what Rand's up to though, which is interesting. I, I mean, yeah, we don't know what his main plan actually is. Yeah, it, it, it's gonna be one of those books again. Yeah, exactly. Where Rand's got something in his head, and everyone knows it except for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's just as likely as anything that Rand's gonna teleport into Samael's bedroom and just, like bail fire him in the face, right? Right. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> that's a good plan. <laughs> it worked really well for I Robin. Mean, could you like fly up above Ilian and bail fire him from? You know, really high up. That's a good question. Why not, right? Nobody nobody has air support. I mean, I guess they, they've got the Drakkar. Yeah, maybe that's why you don't do it. Who knows? But it seems like a pretty solid strategy. I really liked seeing what Matt has done with the Band of the Red Hand, because he's organized this army of along very modern lines. Yeah, he makes a point of the fact that when, when they came to him, they were essentially allocated among the lords. It was whoever you, whatever lord you were loyal to, that's who you would join, right? Yeah. But he's he's restructured it. Yeah, he mixed it up so that people from different places are all put together in units, regardless of their nationality, and there so there's no units that are from one place. And then he put the lords in charge of like fixed size divisions. He also separated them by type, and they've got a symbol on their banner that uh, that indicates what type of unit they are, and gave them all a random number and stuff, which is uh, really cool. It's I, I think the the U.S. didn't start doing that with their military until after World War II. Uh, before that, uh, they would have divisions that were all from one region. Interesting. And uh, and on the banner of the Red Hand, they've got the motto of the Red Hand, which is, <laughs> time to toss the dice, in the old tongue. <laughs> right. What else, what else could it be? Because, you know, <laughs> no, that's Matt just, is saying that to himself constantly. That's <laughs> really cool. <laughs> that's pretty great. Uh, and I, I, I don't know why he's so surprised that they keep having recruits join up with them, because this is the coolest army in existence. Absolutely. Oh, and, and I think it's fun that they, they've started naming their troops, like different different groups like have come up with names for themselves, like the Panthers or the Eagles and all these different things. That's, mm-hmm. that's kind of fun. He sets his army out to travel really, really fast, 35 miles a day, which is a long, dang way to march. Yeah, he mentions that the Aiel consider, I think he said the Aiel, who we know are, are wildly uh, skilled marchers, travels considered 25 miles a day a good, a good pace. Yeah, yeah. So that's an interesting thing because this reminds me of the famous Roman general Marius who would work his men so hard that they called themselves Marius's mules. Mm-hmm. But they loved him, right? And one of the reasons they loved him is because he would like chip in. He'd put his shoulder behind things and like jump down in the ditch and keep digging. But they would work much, much harder for him than they would for anybody else. So this is also part of Matt's ability to, to put an army together and forge them into like a one unit is you work them really hard. But he mentions that even at this pace, it'll take them about a, I think he says about a month to get where they're trying to get. Yeah. Something like that. So I wonder, yeah, I wonder what the purpose of this is. I, I think it sounds to me like he's hoping the the message will outpace their their steps. Like the yeah. the word will get there before they do. Pigeons and ships will, will tell Samael they're coming. Yeah. I wonder, yeah. It's interesting. But he has to look like they're going fast. Right. But if they're going really, really fast, he would put them all on barges, right? On rivers? I Maybe. think he said they don't have enough ships. But, yeah. But I don't know. There's and only 5,000 of them. There's, there's 5,000 of them. That's a lot. Yeah. But then uh, he ends the chapter by thinking, for once, everything was going to work out the way he expected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's never gone wrong, yeah, right? Sure. Absolutely. It's like saying, I'll be right back. Chapter 6. Threads Woven of Shadow with a really cool snake symbol that I don't think we've seen before. I don't recognize this one, yeah. It's, it's like forsaken snake twisted on itself in this crazy Celtic-looking pattern. Forsaken. Ah, that's good. <laughs> that's it. Forsaken. It is now the forsaken symbol. <laughs> <laughs> so Samael is meeting with Grendel. Yeah. Oh, this man, this chapter. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've gotten. I, I've really gotten into the, the times when we get to characterization of the Forsaken just because they're so mysterious throughout the rest of the books. 
So whenever they start, you know, revealing Forsaken, it makes yeah. me happy. And this is, like you said, Samael. Yeah, Samael has gone to Grendel's palace where she lives, which is jumping. Yes, right, right. <laughs> Uh, it is just like acrobats and I musicians. Know, my first thought was this is the coolest place in the world. Right? Then my second thought was these people are all mind slaves. And if I was there, I'd probably be mind screwed also. That's so true. That would really suck. But Grendel's living her best life. <laughs> <laughs> this is interesting because up until now, we, we've known very little about Samael, right? We've, mm-hmm. we've gotten a little taste of other Forsaken, but... But he's been kind of off on his own. We know that he's got this Napoleon complex. He joined the dark the dark side literally because he was shorter than Luce Theron, right? You see? You yeah. see? Like, it doesn't matter if you're tall, absolutely. If you're around tall people, you feel short. That's right. He even, he even says something like, you know, I'm not actually that short, but I was a head shorter than Luce Theron, and that's not okay. <laughs> and we also know that he has an affinity for honeybees for some reason. They're not honeybees. They're just bees. Cool bees. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry, bumblebees, whatever. <laughs> we find out a lot about Grendel's backstory, too. Yeah, so apparently she used to be an ascetic. Like she, yeah, like a... a like some, a sister, like a nun. Yeah, a, a psychiatrist kind of nun who spent her time Healing. helping mm-hmm. helping people with mental conditions. Which is interesting, because that I guess this going to the dark side meant a complete reversal of her... Her moral compass, I Yeah, guess. we don't know why she went to the dark side. She just did all of a sudden. And she has all this intricate knowledge of how minds work, which make her extremely good at this mind control magic. Compulsion, they call it. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Uh, but she doesn't seem to have the... You know, Samael's jealous of Luz Theron. Demandred's jealous of Luz Theron. Ishmael is just crazy. Everybody has these motivations. Asmodian wants to hear Billie Jean. Right, and right. Hey Jude. <laughs> yeah, he's hoping to live long enough. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but we don't get that for Grendel. So I wonder and and it's, apparently nobody knows why she did it. Like and it, during this whole scene Samael is thinking I you know, can't trust anything like any emotion on her face cuz she's such an incredible manipulator. So it's like you never get to the core of who Grendel is. No one knows Which except is, maybe the, the great lord. Right. And it's it's interesting because you know we 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 have these different ideas of I guess the the strengths of various Forsaken, and it seems that Grendel's strength is just kind of being a, a puppet master in a way. You know, she mm-hmm. does it with her her quote unquote pets, yeah, and she does it with the other Forsaken. So you you it's hard to gauge just where she is in the hierarchy of Forsaken. You know, we 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 know that Ishmael was supposed to be one of the strongest, but he's gone. We know that Lanfear was supposed to be pretty strong, but she's gone. So I wonder if Grendel is running things, even though nobody knows it. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. She's living in this palace in Aradoman. She's manipulating the local nobility. They think that she's one of them. Remind me, Aradoman, is that where uh, Nynaeve first encounters Mogedian? Is that the place where there were all the riots? No, that's Terabon. That's Which Terabon. is the place that's always at war with Aradoman. Is Aradoman where the uh, the prophet was? No, that's Gaeldon. And I have trouble keeping Which is on the other straight. side of uh, Terabon, I think. Okay. But yeah. then it is where Leanne is from, where they always talk about Domani women who wear dresses that cover everything but reveal everything. That's right. They, okay. they all they wear uh, rompers. <laughs> <laughs> right, rompers. <laughs> Just really like filmy rompers. Yeah, like the, the most sexy dress imaginable, which is a romper. A romper. Right. But it, it is in chaos, right? And Samael's thinking, like, it must take a lot of effort to live here because everything's in chaos. In this whole area, it's covered in civil war, but he doesn't understand why she's doing it because he doesn't understand her. And apparently, I'm I'm sure it's not helping things that she's got half the royal family working for her in her little circus, <laughs> yeah, right? He trained them as acrobats. Yeah, it's got what is it like the king's brother, the king's daughter, the king's sister, a couple other things. Yeah, right. And she thinks like I would have taken the king, but he's kind of an ogo. <laughs> <laughs> not my type. Yeah. We get a little bit of info in their conversation about the lands beyond the waste. So cool. Which is really yeah. just tantalizing hints. I know. It makes this is another one of those things where I feel like maybe Robert Jordan is setting up the next book or so. Or maybe this book actually. I, I hope he is. I want to learn more about these people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. just hints. Yeah, about their culture, how they treat channelers, stuff like that. Yeah. Very neat. And I'm struck again by just how much it sucks to be a Forsaken as we see this scene because Samael is talking about how at any time he's likely to be killed by one of these other Forsaken, right? Like, he doesn't actually have allies. He has people that he has, like, tenuous, right? we'll say, like, ceasefires with, but he really can't trust any of them. It sucks to be a Forsaken. It does. 
Except this scene was the first scene where I thought, I understand why these people would turn to the Dark One, because Grendel has air conditioning in her palace. Oh, man, that's true. It's yes. so hot and everyone else is suffering. And it is nice and cool inside. And I think I might turn to the Dark One <laughs> if that was the only way to get air conditioning. If you lived, Yeah, if you lived in Texas in the summer and someone was like, give me your soul and I'll turn on the AC, I'd be like... Well, I mean... Yes, okay. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I sign? Does it have to be in blood? My blood? Your blood? I don't care. <laughs> anyway, they have this conversation where they're both kind of hinting things at each other and trying to manipulate each other. It seems like Grendel is pushing Samael's buttons extremely easily. She and can just makes him angry constantly by with these little sniping comments. And Samael, interestingly, thinks that he's winning like it's 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 funny because he he's in his head he's like oh i'm getting all this information from her that she doesn't realize she's revealing and that's probably not true it's not true mm-hmm. yeah yeah he, he knows find out because we cut to her perspective a second ago and she's like yep looks like he bought it mm-hmm. like he got exactly the information that i wanted him to get yep uh but they they do say one thing that's interesting because they they they're constantly all the forsaken in these chapters are really worried that the dark one intends to make randall thor night Nabless, Nab- whatever, second in command. Yeah, yeah, the, the in charge, the human in charge. Right. The best of the Forsaken. And they're, they're, they're worried about that because they all want to be Nabless and they don't want to be, you know, killed. <laughs> yeah. Because they all want to live forever, like every one of them. Yeah. And one of the things that Samael thinks is, one of, them, one of them said was, the Dark One would almost as soon have turned Luz Theron Telamon to the shadow as have broken free. Yeah, I remember reading that. It, 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 it's interesting. I think, I think it might have been Ishmael, actually, who said it. Uh, mm-hmm. Or, or Samael was remembering that Ishmael said it. Yeah. And we know that Ishmael uh, was, well, number one, a little bit crazy. Yes. He actually thought he was the Dark Lord, or people, he seemed to be pretending he was the Dark Lord. It's hard mm-hmm. to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, he had this idea about this having happened over and over, which we know to be true as the reader. We know that this is a very cyclical universe right uh and I, I wonder if the idea is that if he can take loose theron's soul he'll take it for every subsequent cycle so it's better to do that than to break free but he did right in the past hasn't he actually done that we saw it in rand's memories right i went again loose theron yeah mm. did, did rand ever turn to the dark we know that he kills so. him we know that he kills him several times again interesting because we know that the 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 Dark One, or I think it was actually Ishmael who said this, pretending to be the Dark One, but Baal-Zaman. he said, right, Balzaman, right? He said that if Rand died, that he'd still win because he, he's the Lord of the Grave or something like that. But we, I guess that's not true because interesting, loose there in his back. Maybe well, what Ishmael said was that the Dark One wanted to break the Wheel of Time and to end the cycle. Right? Maybe turning Randall Thor, turning loose there in Telamon will do that, which means it's very important not for that to happen. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, it's interesting. I love the cosmology stuff. So anyway, there's this whole cryptic conversation, which I really couldn't follow because they're referencing a bunch of stuff we don't know and it was plans actually, we're not aware of. It was actually kind of annoying to me because it's something that he, Jordan does sometimes where he's trying to avoid revealing something, but he's, he's I guess, veering too close to it to the point that it's, it's almost like... It's, it's really clunky dialogue where they're, well, we're not going to talk about this thing that we all know because we all know it, but we're not right. going to say it. Even you know? though it's just us and your mind slave, so there's no reason not to talk about it. Yeah, so they're bouncing around these these orders that uh, that someone that they might, I guess it's a Mandrid received in Shalgol and then relayed to all of them, but we don't know what they are. Yeah, right. But they they involve not killing Rand. We think, probably. Uh, they th- think they they think that pretty explicitly, right? Oh, they do. Yeah, Grendel is thinking like, I want to kill Rand because I don't want him to be my boss, but I can't kill Rand because of the orders. That's right. So yeah. I'm going to try and get Samael to do it. And, and yeah, Samael leaves, and on his way out... He telefrags her pet? Yeah, that's Aww. so mean. I know, that's just bad manners. Yeah, it's really not cool. That's a party foul. Yeah. He cuts him in half with a, a gateway. Hmm. Which is a, I, I mean, I wonder if that's another thing. that we, Is that like foreshadowing? Someone's going to get killed by a gateway cutting in half? He's just like, this oh, is what so. happens in case you're curious. You know? <laughs> so then we, yeah, we get to see it from Grendel's perspective, which... Grendel appears to have read Samael like a book for this entire scene. I want to point out that she's more upset about her rug than she is about the person getting cut in half. <laughs> yeah, it's true. She's uh, like, they're, they're bad guys. <laughs> the, the, wait, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I like them. They're bad guys. And like I said, she's trying to get him to kill Rand against the Dark One's orders. It's actually really interesting seeing things from her perspective as this, like, 
super psychologist or this this super psychotherapist. Yeah. She's had 400 years to understand the inner workings of people's psyches. And so she's just really good at dealing with them. But that means since she's a super manipulator, we can never really know what she's what's going on inside her head. True. Like she thinks about how she's just a hedonist and everything's all about living forever and and maximizing her own pleasure. Mm -hmm. But why did she become that? You know, because she wasn't before. She was yeah, she exactly was the opposite. So something must have turned. Yeah, weird. Yeah. She, also, I, I thought these people all think they want to live forever and this is their goal. But don't they know that's impossible in the Wheel of Time? Does they know about the Wheel of Time, right? So it's not impossible if the Wheel of Time is broken, right? I guess so. But they, so that means they're all on board with plan, break the Wheel of Time? Yeah, so there's no rebirth. It's just their immortality forever. Mm, okay. I think that's the idea, though I... They don't think that explicitly. They just think, I'm not going to die right now. Yeah. And we know that Aes Sedai in the Age of Legends were already pretty long-lived. I mean, I don't think we know exactly how long-lived they were, but they lived for hundreds, maybe thousands of years, right? Right, yeah. So they were already pretty close to immortal, as it was. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that they would turn for the promise of more life. But... She confirms in her thoughts that Masana is in the White Tower somehow. I wonder if she's a character we've already met. She must be, right? I was wondering that, yeah. Because Mogedian likes to hang out as a servant, but I don't think Masana would be that. She's more of a teacher type. Yeah, who who in the White Tower could be Masana? I mean, there's lots of teachers. But yeah, she, if she's in the, the White Tower, it'd be difficult to say who she was. I mean, I, I still think that Sheriam is, is likely to be... Uh, Dark friend or something. Really? Yeah, I, I, don't I, I don't trust her. Yeah, I don't trust her. Too motherly. Yeah, too motherly. <laughs> and this was cool. I may be jumping to inclusion here, but Samael and Grendel discuss that how the channelers in this world bind themselves like criminals. Yeah. And I think they may be referring to the three oaths that the Aes Sedai take. Uh, yeah, they say something about the effects of the binding, and it sounds an awful lot like the three oaths. So I think you might be right, Jeff. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I don't know what that means for them, banding like criminals. I, th I think maybe the oath rod was a thing they did to criminals. They made them swear not to be a criminal. Oh. I swear not to do crimes anymore. Oh, interesting. Because, so, I mean, we know that all these Terangrial, that the White Tower and really everyone has, we don't know their original purpose. Right, right. Yeah, so maybe it was a totally different thing. Well, we learn, and she also gives us more information about these people that live above the above the Aiel, right north of the Aiel Waste. Oh. Um, yeah, the Shbote. What are they called? The Shbote and the Shbone. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The emperors. The Shbote and the Shbone. That sounds like like they're making fun of the names. I really want to know more about these people. <laughs> the Shbote and the Shbone. <laughs> <laughs> and Samuel thinks that Grendel is deliberately doing this to kind of redirect his attention, but maybe she think wants him to think well, that, but yes. she is still going to be doing it. Yeah, she yeah. seems to think that she seems to be thinking that she was saying that to make him think that she was trying to redirect him, but she's not actually trying to redirect him. She, she wants, wants him to kill Rand, yeah. Yeah. But I yeah. think she's a few steps past him but all it's, the time. Yeah, I think you're right. And and yeah, to, to kind of further that, they, they have these emperors that are, I guess, replaced every seven years because they mysteriously die. Mm -hmm. And then she mentions that the in that land, they I guess they have forced interbreeding of the channeling gene. So they're like breeding. Yeah, the women who can channel can only uh, hook up with men who can channel. And men who can channel, they're not even taught to read and they just killed at 25. Yeah, that's so I wonder if they are better channelers over there. Yeah, they, they it seems like they wouldn't have bred it out. Yeah, if that was the case. And apparently they don't take the oath so they can do whatever they want with it, including kill somebody every 7 years, which is <laughs> what I think what Grendel implies is is happening. Mhm. Mm it's going to be interesting. I, I I hope we get to visit that place. I hope we get to see more about that land. It sounds right. interesting. And she's totally needling Samuel. She continues right to the very end to needle him. Uh, she'll she's she'll kind of like say things under her breath that he wouldn't be able to hear unless he was embracing the power. But he's totally embracing the power, so he can hear her. And <laughs> yeah. it's kind of immature, but she totally knows what she's doing. I guess she's just it works. Yeah. I mean, I guess you can say that Samael is immature because it's working on him, right? He's, it really is. Yeah, he's. he's I, I'm getting the impression that he's not very smart. No. Yeah, it, I don't think that's why he was recruited. Not for his intelligence, anyway. Or maybe maybe he doesn't have that kind of intelligence. Maybe he's a he's a strategic genius. You know, maybe he's. Right. Good yeah. at military maneuvers, but not good at anything else. He's good at being short. 
This is excellent skill. <laughs> That's right. He fit into small spaces. He's got a really cool scar on his face. That's right. It's important to him in general. That's true. I mean, what are the rules for becoming a Forsaken? Because there just aren't that many of them. It uh, was They were just the most powerful of the channelers that went to the Dark One. Right. So, so you could be a really you could be really powerful channeler, but that doesn't mean you're particularly intelligent or right, exactly. good at anything. So he could just be really practical. strong. Yeah. I, I, we do know that, so there, there were 13 of them. I wonder if there used to be more like, of the Forsaken. Honestly, Asmodeans seem pretty useless. Uh, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> his, his, his skills were musical, right? Like, he didn't have any special talents. We know that Mogedian was really good at the dreamwalking stuff. And, uh, and it, it would make sense if there was, like, you know, this is our most, these are the Trollocs, right? And they're incredibly dangerous, except if you play a sick beat, then... They just can't do anything but dance, right? So you can paralyze them if you have a really great musician who can keep throwing out fire from the dance floor. So maybe Asmodian was like was situationally very useful, but not as necessarily yeah, right. useful in the future. I just figured I that... I can't imagine him being like ruling, being the nameless and, and conquering all the other Forsaken. Well, neither could he, right? Asmodian never really seemed like he was betting on that. He was just like hiding out. Like Both he and, and Mogedian were just like kind of off the off the radar on purpose, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, we're not here to run things. We're just here to, you know, live forever and do what we're doing. <laughs> right. Just trying to survive. Uh, but, you know, I mean, if you consider they're the 13 most powerful, someone's got to be number 13. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. He's like, well, I'm not as powerful as other guys, but, uh, you know, I'm all right, I guess. I'm pretty good. You know, I'm better than number 14. <laughs> <laughs> we, we also learned that Grendel has her own specific orders from the Dark One, which is interesting. Yeah, she went there on her own. We knew that Demandred went and brought back something, but we we didn't know that Grendel went. And that's interesting because, again, she's someone who doesn't reveal anything to anyone. Mm -hmm. And so I think she makes the point of the fact that nobody knows that she did that. Yeah, so what the heck does that mean? We have no idea. Yeah. We don't know what the original plans were. We don't know if these are... Plans contrary to those plans, or complementary, or what? And we still don't know what's up with the the Mirdral Plus. Shidar Haran. Shidar yeah. Haran. Yeah, and and I think Grendel also says that the Dark One essentially promised her that she'd be Nightless. Mm. Which makes me wonder, did he promise everyone that? Probably, right? I think the Dark Everybody One... wants it. The Dark One has the terrible power of lying. <laughs> the, the secret, the secret art. <laughs> yeah, right. He just told me that. Why would he? Why would he not be true? Yeah, if it wasn't true, he wouldn't have said that. That's right. But probably, certainly, if you go to the Dark One on your own, he's like, yeah, yeah, sure, you're gonna be number one. I, I think it's funny because she says he as much as promised or just short of promise. And I bet, I was like, come on. <laughs> yeah, <for laughs> if he didn't say it, it's not true. He's the Lord of Lies, man. <laughs> Then we check in on what Samir Haj is doing. I love this chapter. Like getting yeah. to go through the different Forsaken. Oh, so fun. Yeah. She, what she's doing is torturing people. Yeah, that's that's not as fun, I guess. Seriously torturing people. Like torturing them a lot. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's interesting because we, I guess we learned during this chapter that Samir Haj was essentially like a super doctor, right? Like she was the, mm -hmm. the world's greatest surgeon, able to heal people. And like... Uh, Grendel, she she is now opposed to that. She's like the opposite. She's now yeah. the well, best torturer. But we do find out why. It's because even back then, she would add a little bit of extra to the healing and and torture people while she was healing them. That is true, yeah. And so, people found out that she was about her pleasures. And she was like, well, fuck you then. I'm going to go to the dark one. Oh, that's right. That That's where we learn about the, um, the bound like a criminal thing. Because she mentions that she was given the choice of Wow, what is it? Being, I can't remember how she said it. Basically, having a shortened life and not being able to use her powers the way that she wanted and stuff. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if that was the oath rod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was the she was a criminal who had to do the thing. Yeah, and she was one of the first ones to go to the dark one because she wasn't taking any of the options they were giving her. She feels like they weren't appreciating what she had done because they were, you know, mad at her for torturing people. Yeah. And she can use compulsion, but she doesn't do it. She she uses torture to remold people. Which I guess she just enjoys. She just enjoys giving pain. Yeah, she's, she said, thinks to herself, well, it's better in some ways to do this instead of doing it the easy way. But I think she just likes it. I think that, I think you're right. I think it's a self-serving kind of thing. Yeah, and, and the way she does it is by manipulating people's pleasure and pain centers in their mind directly with magic. 
She's horrible. Yeah. And she still refers to them as her patients as well. So we're definitely getting some like Dr. Mangala mm, yeah. shit going on there. Yeah, yeah. We've got the killer surgeon kind of trope here. And it just so and, and I guess this this mirror draw plus, whatever we call him, the super mirror draw, mm-hmm. uh, is is roaming around, right? He's like he's a moving and shaking because he's there with yeah. her. Yeah, he's there. He's checking up on this. That he he has her interrogating an Aes Sedai and her warder, but we don't know what for. Yeah, we don't know what information they're trying to get. And it, it seems as if she was essentially called in directly by the Dark One to do this. Like this right, is yeah. a special mission kind of thing. And they're actually in Shia Gull, which seems kind of nice, to be honest. You know, Why is I mean, that? It says nice rooms, right? They have glow bulbs? It's spacious. Yeah, it's got glow bulbs, like the last 3,000 years, you know? That's yeah, better than that's, candles. That's right. There's a great light bulb. I just I I was kind of expecting like the stones would be made of screaming faces and you know hell would shoot lightning down and blow you up all the time. But you know, seems like a pretty like a La Quinta, you know, pretty comfortable. <laughs> yeah, she mentions that the rooms she's staying in are are well appointed, very comfortable. Yeah, you know? it's interesting because she talks about why she prefers to use pain over pleasure, and she talks about the way that when she manipulates pleasure centers, it essentially turns them into a drug addict. Yeah, I, I think it's like heroin or something. That's it, what I was it, thinking, yeah. It changes the way the hormones in your brain work, so it's, you can't resist it. It's not a willpower thing. It, like, rewires your brain. And I think the pain probably does the same thing. She said it wasn't as useful because it makes them no longer coherent. They lose coherency. Mm-hmm. And then they just they just will do anything to get more of that pleasure. Yeah. So, yeah, it definitely seemed like a uh, an addiction analog. Yeah, and we, we see both because she's using the pain on... The Aes Sedai, and then she goes and uses pleasure, which I guess is like heroin or something, on her warder. Yeah. And she gets lost in thought and leaves it turned on and turns him into a vegetable. Or Oops. kills him. Yeah, kills him. With kills like, him right. like, he chews off his tongue. Right, yeah. Like, he orgasms to death or something. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Which, I don't know, I would pick that over the pain side, honestly. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to go, right? Mm-hmm. Being orgasmed to death is not the worst way to go. <laughs> right. The worst way to go is what's happening to the other Aes Sedai. <laughs> That's right. They also mentioned something in passing here that I thought was really interesting, that Mirdral can move from place to place through the shadows, which is something I think we we sort of knew, it was yeah. rumored, but now we know that this is actually true. And nobody knows how it works, including the Mirdral themselves. Yeah, yeah, it just happens. Didn't they make the Mirdral? No, they were an accident, right? Remember, like, uh, one in a thousand Trollocs just turns out as a Mirdral. That's right, reason. yeah. Because we know that uh, one of the first Forsaken that we meet, uh, was it Aganor? Aganor. Aganor. Aganor is the one who created the, the Trollocs as a genetic experiment. Yeah. And I guess the Miradral are just a weird byproduct. Of yeah, it. and she she thinks about how he destroyed a hundred of them trying to figure out how they did it. Mm-hmm. And, and she herself thinking. like tortured one to death to get him to talk. And, and they don't know how they do it. Yeah, they just sort of do it. It's kind of interesting. There's a lot of these, these weird arcane mysteries in this world that I think are really cool. Because, I mean... We have these ultimate powers, like the Dark One, that that exist. And we have things like Balsamon that are pretty close to it. But then we have all these kind of weird horrors off to the side that nobody knows how they work. Like, for example, the the, um, the Machin Shin and the, the Wings. Yeah, right. Nobody knows where it came from exactly. It's just like this weird corruption that's bubbled up and now it's... Yeah, the world is just full of things like this. I think that's really cool. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. really interesting. And, uh, yeah, she, she lets slip that... She was on orders for the Dark One, and she sent the Trollocs and Mirdral that fought against the Trollocs and Mirdral sent by Samael in the Stone of Tear, which, again, I had totally forgotten about. Yeah. Uh, it's just another thing, right? Like, there's so many of these subplots and plots. Yeah, and they don't... Samirhaj doesn't really know what the others are up to. She doesn't really trust Masana and Demandred, even though they've been teamed up for 3,000 years. So... Does the Dark One have an overarching plan? Or is he just fucking with people? It's really hard to tell. I mean, given his purpose and given his, you know, otherworldly intelligence, it would make sense for him to have some sort of mysterious scheme that was, that was you know, unknowable to anyone but himself. But sometimes it feels like he's just so in chaos. And, and the way that he manages the forsaken it certainly lends itself to that right mm-hmm. they're they're just he just says go do your thing i'm not going to give you much instruction but you know one of you is going to be the leader in the end <laughs> it's interesting yeah uh, but but it is interesting also seeing 
how Simiraj's perspective is different. The others are sort of vying for being number one, and she's just like, the dark one's going to win. I'm going to do whatever he tells me. Mm-hmm. I don't, she, she doesn't seem as motivated by her own personal ambition so much as just kind of surviving and... Living forever. Living it's, forever, It's yeah. not a power thing. She just wants to keep doing what she enjoys. Yeah. Which, I, I mean, you know, I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not the torture part, but, you know, the other part. <laughs> I mean, it's probably good that the the Dark One isn't relying too much on the Forsaken since they seem to be having a nasty habit of, you know, disappearing. Yeah, yeah they keep talking about how, like, he's just a shepherd, right? Like, he came <laughs> off the farm a year ago and he's, he's killed five of us. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, 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 I mean, we've been through so many of these books, it's hard to put that in perspective. But yeah, it's been about a year and a year ago he was herding sheep yeah. <laughs> yeah. and never thought he was going to be leaving Emmonsfield. And now he's conquered half of the... Half of the known world, we'll call it. Yeah, I, I think that would be more evidence of Samael not being that bright, because he still thinks, you know, he's just a farm boy. He's stupid. I can beat him on, in a battlefield. He's just gotten lucky a few times. It's fine. <laughs> well, yeah. it's an ongoing theme in the books where of people not working together, particularly evil people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of underestimation happening, for sure. Yeah, true. Yeah. That, you're right. That is a theme. The evil people are, spend, they seem like they've got all these advantages, but they spend more of their time attacking each other instead mm-hmm. of doing what they're theoretically supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And that's what Rand is trying to do with people who aren't necessarily evil, but the, like the tyrant Terrans and the... Right, yeah. yeah. So what you're saying is that the, the real power is the power of friendship. Yes, exactly. It's true. It's magic. Yeah. It's the one power. Yeah. The real one power. It's friendship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to point something out. We've we've seen lots of perspectives now. Nobody knows what happened to Asmodian. Because <laughs> I kept thinking it was one of the Forsaken, right? And mm-hmm. at this point... Each of them, Demandred is at the beginning of this chapter, Samael, Grendel, Simiraj, all of them are like, I wonder what happened to Asmodian. Who killed Asmodian? <laughs> <laughs> we know it wasn't, uh, we know it wasn't, um... Okay. I, I have a theory. Okay. He was, we know he was looking for a wine, like some wine, right? He was going through the, the doors, right? Yeah. And he opened a door thinking it was a closet full of wine, uh-huh. but it was actually like a wash closet and there was a mirror uh-huh. and he saw himself. And he's, he got startled, uh-huh. and he shot Balefire at the mirror, and he hit himself. <laughs> and that's why nobody knows. He just, really? like, dissolved himself? Yes. Oh, that makes perfect sense. You know, he goes, you? No. Because he it's, thought... That's what I say when I see myself in the <laughs> mirror. <You>? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Alice, who do you think killed Desmondian? I have no idea, because my thought was Shadar Haram, but, this, but I don't know, because it seems like the Forsaken, some of them know him, and some of them don't know him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's the only that's the only good guess I've got right now. Yeah, I think that I think that he's not dead. I think that he he saw himself in the mirror, like you said. He was like, "Oh, you," because we don't have emphasis, right? Like it, we're reading maybe, the. Oh, maybe he was. Maybe what he actually said was, "You know." Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then he's just like, he's like, "I'm out." And he just left. <laughs> right. Peace. Yeah, he he went back to hiding. I think he's still alive somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's it for this episode. Next time we're going to cover chapters seven through nine of Lord of Chaos. I am Jeff Lake. That's Jeff underscore Lake on Twitter. I'm Alice Sullivan at Alice M. Sullivan. I'm Micah Sparkman. I don't have one of those. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please drop us a line at hello at thedragonryred.com. We would love to hear from you. Please share us with anybody you think will like us. Please give us good reviews on whatever service you got this from. Please support us at patreon.com slash club. Please like us in real life. We're super likable. Until next time, the, the light, light illumine you. you.